0: Thank you, what a great, great honour to be with you, uh, so love meeting your senior pastor. We met in 2019 and then he told me about all the stuff he was doing in Wales with the Welsh Bible College and of course when I was a young man in my 20s I read that book by Norman Grubb about Rhys Howells, had a profound impact on me. I am actually Welsh by heritage, I was born and grew up in London. But um, my name, Prothero, is a Welsh name, it's a Celtic name, means son of redhead. Yeah, there's a little ginger down here. And uh, I just wanna say thank you to you as a church, both as a Welshman, as a Brit. I wanna say thank you to you and your pastoral team here for having the vision to invest back into our nation. You know, we've been a sending nation in the past, but boy, do we need help. And so, uh, you know, just from the bottom of my heart, thank you that you're redigging a well. Um, I'm part, uh, denominationally, I'm part of the Apostolic Church, which is a denomination that came out of Wales, the 1904 Welsh Revival, and then uh, DP Williams was a young man who was prayed over by Evan Roberts. And uh, he led the Apostolic Church, which was a young movement back in those days. And so that's who I am ordained through. So I want you to know there's a great connection there. And uh, I'm so incredibly grateful to you guys for having the vision and to God and for what's happening in Wales. It's very exciting. I've been to the college. I've stayed there. And uh, let me tell you this. If you, three months of your life is nothing, it's nothing to invest in going to Wales and experiencing that college, experiencing that place. Uh, We we spend most of our lives uh, just worrying about stuff, doing stuff, but to invest in Bible college, um, I was a senior lecturer in a Bible college for eight years in Denmark training. We had 120 residential students and I trained leaders from all over the world, mainly from Europe, but actually from all over the world. And then I became the principal of that college for four years. So I'm a great believer in equipping and training and developing people. And uh, take advantage of that. You know, you might listen. Um, God has a way of creating situations where we can have opportunities to give Him time, and uh, I want to encourage you take take the time to do that. Uh, I've written two books. The first book, I'm not sure it's in the bookstore, but it's called it's called Church Leadership: The Stuff You Usually Learn the Hard Way. I wrote that for younger leaders uh, so they wouldn't make all the mistakes that I made. Uh, and so that book sold really, really well. Then I wrote another book. This is called The Soft and Hard Sides of Leadership, How to Avoid Being a Wimp or a Megalomaniac. And um, in my experience over the years, I've met a few wimps and I've met a few megalomaniacs in the church. And uh, and so this is, it, it, Bill Johnson said to me, I should have called it The Soft and Hard Sides of Jesus. Uh, and he gave me a nice recommendation in this book. But um, if you get the time, if you'd like to read that, Um, I know what I'm going to do, I want to give this to you, be blessed. So, ah, you wish you sat there now, don't you? (laughs) See, let's see. Okay, let me just do a couple of things before I start preaching. Uh, what's your name? Uh, Leon. 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 Yes. That's a great name, Leon. Do you mind standing up? I just want to lay hands on you and pray for you. Lord, thank you for Leon. Let me tell you something. There's, there's, there's been an attack against you from the enemy to try and bring discouragement into your life. I just want to tell you it's not you. You didn't do anything wrong. Okay, it's the enemy trying to discourage you. It's the enemy trying to put you off. There's a great calling on your life. Lord's gonna do some great things in your future. So Father, everything the enemy is meaning for evil. I break the power of that now in Jesus' name. Just release your purpose on this young man. I just release the good things that you're doing. I thank you that you've surrounded him with friends who can encourage him, who believe in him. And uh, Father, I just ask that your hand of goodness will continue to bless this young man. I thank you that you're raising him up. This is sort of a Joshua anointing on you. You're gonna be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. He's teaching you how to do that. He's teaching you how to find strength in God. So I bless you in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, kind of, yeah, God is good, isn't he? We can give him a clap. So um, I wanna talk to you about the importance of connection. We live in a culture where people think they're connected because we have Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. And so it's very easy, isn't it, to sort of, you know, I don't know how many friends you have on Facebook. I have 5,000. know, It's a little crazy, isn't it? It's a little crazy, and you know, there's, there's algorithms. I was, you know, the, the way it all works is fascinating to me because I was talking to, to my son who is a pastor as well. He's a pastor in America, and we were talking. He's crazy about golf. And and we were talking about golf, and now on my iPhone, all these adverts come up about golf and about golf clubs and stuff like that. And I used to think it was because they were listening to you, but it's not. It's, it's, it's actually what what the algorithms are doing is, is looking at what other people whose iPhones are in proximity to you and what's on their iPhones, and so what's on their iPhone starts to come to your iPhones. And sort of we have this sense of connection. But really, the connection that God is looking for, for us to really buy into, is relational connection. Getting connected to God's people. Do you know, the moment you said yes to Jesus, he kind of was was a bit sneaky. Because the moment you say yes to Jesus, you say yes to God's people. How many of you know loving Jesus is easy? Yeah? Anyone here? I don't have a problem loving Jesus, he's wonderful. It's his people that give me a problem. And you see, when we say yes to following Jesus, Jesus didn't call one person to follow him. He had many disciples. In fact, if you look at Luke chapter 6, where Jesus chooses the 12, he's choosing them from 100 people. Because in the next few chapters, in Luke chapter 10, he sends out the 70 others. And if you look at Acts chapter one, there's 120 disciples in the upper room. Jesus has got about 100 people following him all the time. And so if you look at Luke 24, he meets uh, on the Emmaus road, he, 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 he meets two disciples there. And one is called Cleopas. And Cleopas is not in the 12, but he's a disciple. And then Matthias is in Acts chapter uh, 1. He's chosen. And Joseph, there's two disciples that are actually named. They're not part of the 12, but they were there from the beginning. So you have to understand, when Jesus called disciples to follow him, he's got about 100 disciples following him. And then in Luke chapter 6, he chooses 12 in a special way. And when he chooses those 12... He spends all night in prayer. Now think about that. Jesus spent one hour in prayer before the cross and all night in prayer before choosing leaders. Just think about that for a minute. Some of my friends argue with me. No, he didn't just pray for an hour. He prayed for at least three hours because he went back and forth. Okay, I'll give you three hours. I'll give it to you if you want to argue it. But he prayed all night for choosing the twelve. What does that say? Why? Because he's got over 100 people to choose from. What's he trying to do? Jesus is discerning the callings over people. But here's the thing. When we say yes to Jesus, we say yes to God's people. Listen, when you were baptised into Jesus Christ, you were also baptised into his body, the church. Get that? And so following Jesus, we all say, Amen. And then following leaders, hmm. Being with God's people, meeting together, oh, I don't know about that. You know, How many of you know that's a little bit harder? Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians 2.17, since we were torn away from you brothers, he's talking about the church in Thessaloniki, this is a church that he had planted and then because of intense persecution they wanted to kill him, he ran away. He didn't really wanna leave, but, and he writes this, since we were torn away from you brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart. In person, not in heart. We endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. I just love the way that's said. Paul desired to be with people face to face. Now, to all the people who are watching online, we love you. <laughs> we love you, God bless you. Wasn't COVID great? You could go to church in your pajamas, I did it. You could have your coffee, your toast, put your feet up on the coffee table, look at the screen, worship Jesus, raise your hands. Nobody was judging you just because your hair wasn't good. You didn't have makeup on. Wasn't it a fantastic time that you could do that? But times have changed. We're here, you should be here. We want you here in person, face to face. Come on, you should be clapping me, guys. You made the effort. Paul said, I want to see you face to face. I want to be with you. I was torn away from you in person, but not in heart. God wants to connect our hearts. And when our hearts are connected, we want to be together. Psalm 133 says this, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. The words together in unity, it's the same Hebrew word, because in Hebrew, you don't have superlatives. We say great, greater, greatest. Those are superlatives. In Hebrew, you don't have the superlatives. So what do you do? You repeat the same word twice. So actually the Hebrew word for unity, together in unity, is a repetition of Yachad. The Hebrew word Yachad. So behold how good and it is pleasant it is when brothers dwell together, together. Together, together. Have you ever been at a party and you're a guy and you're talking to a girl and somebody comes up to you and says, Are you together? And you say, oh, no, 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 we're not together. We're together, but we're not together together. You know what I'm saying? It's like we're together because we're drinking together and we're talking together, but we're not together together. And we all know what we mean by that. And, and, and Psalm 133 says... Behold how good and how pleasant it is when brothers are together, together, together in heart. They wanna to be together. They wanna to be face to face. John, the apostle, he writes his letters and he says, there's two very, very short letters, Second John and Third John. I mean, they're really, really short, like 20 verses or whatever. And John says, I've got so much more I wanna to say to you, but I'm gonna wait till I'm face to face. How does God speak to Moses. Well, in other prophets, he speaks in a dream or in a vision or through a dark saying, but with Moses, I speak face to face as a man speaks to his friend. That's how God wants to be with us. And that's how God wants us to be with each other. And you have to be intentional about doing that. You know, coming to church is intentional. In Luke 4, 16, it talks about Jesus who went to the synagogue as was his custom. As was his custom. Let me say it another way. As was his habit. If you wanted to find Jesus in the first century, here's all you had to do. Wait till Friday at six o'clock and go to the local synagogue. That's where Jesus is gonna be. Hello? God dwells with his people. God dwells with his people. Listen, you can be edified and listen to messages online. No problem, it will edify you. But you will never be changed unless you are in the company of somebody else. Because that's how your character is formed. That's how your ministry is developed. It is always together where that takes place. So I just want to encourage you. Who are you intentionally connecting with? Who are you allowing to influence your life? You've got to understand that somebody's influencing you, but you get the choice of who that is. Let me say it like this. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Here's what the book of Proverbs says. It says, he who walks with a wise man will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. Oh, that's heavy, isn't it? The companion of fools will be destroyed. Uh, Who you hang out with, who you choose to influence and, and have an influence in your life, it's going to have a profound effect on your destiny and your future. So make make wise choices. And here's the thing, you don't even have to be wise to become wise. You just have to recognize who the wise people are. And when you recognize the wise people are, it doesn't matter if you're a complete idiot. The promise is you will become wise. And by the way, everyone starts off as an idiot. Everyone in this room, the Bible says this in Proverbs 25 foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. Everybody here started life as a child. You were bound with foolishness. You did dumb things as a kid, stupid stuff as a kid. But you may be born a fool, but you don't have to die a fool. But if your companions are all stupid doing stupid stuff, guess what? You'll be destroyed. When my son was 10, it was crazy. He came home one day, I opened the front door and there he was standing there covered in blood. I said, oh my goodness, what did you do? He said, dad, I tried to be a terminator. Now I had a problem at so many levels with that answer. First of all, you're 10. How on earth did you ever watch that movie? But secondly, what did you try and do? And he was trying to ride his bicycle on top of a wall. And then the wall had a gap to the next part of the wall, and he thought, if I go fast enough, I can jump that gap. Yeah, physics took over. Just dumb, foolish, stupid stuff. He never made that mistake again. Yeah, thank, thank you, Jesus, for keeping him alive. Aren't you glad that you've done dumb stuff and God kept you alive? And, and not only do we do dumb stuff, we say dumb stuff. We do it all the time, you know, Jesus is there with Moses and Elijah, and think about that, that's a little weird. Think about that. It's like, who are those two guys? Oh, this is Moses, this is Elijah. I mean, that's a little spooky at one level, don't you think? Like if I came to you and said, oh yeah, I just had a conversation with Moses and Elijah up the mountain, you know. You kind of look at me and go, ooh-ooh. So here's Jesus, he's talking to Moses and Elijah. And Peter says, oh, it's really good that we're here. We can build three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. It's like God comes down in a cloud and says, shut up. (laughs) This is my son. Listen to him. I'm going to write a chapter in a book. Uh, I'm calling it Don't Bother Giving Jesus Advice. (laughs) It's good that we're here, Lord. Yeah, thank you, Peter. Thank you for that advice. Lord, there's a big multitude here. They haven't eaten all day. Tell them to go home. Oh, thank you for that advice. You give them something to eat. (laughs) Just try giving Jesus advice and watch what happens. You give them something to eat. How many of you know that was a stress-inducing moment for the disciples? So so really don't bother telling Jesus what he should be doing because he knows exactly what he's doing. But he calls us into relationship, he calls us into fellowship. And so when Jesus called all these disciples, then he chooses the 12. And think about that. If you've got 100 disciples and you choose 12, how how do you think 88 feel? (laughs) Were you ever at school when they picked football teams? Did that ever happen here, you know? Like in our school, we'd we'd pick football teams and they'd always choose the two best players as the two captains. And then the players used to go, yeah, and they they used to look at you, you know, and I'd be there and they, you know, enthusiastically, yeah, I'll have that guy. You know, when you're last to be chosen, how does that feel? Or if you're not chosen at all. And how do you think the other 88 dealt with all the jealousy and the insecurity thing? How do you think that, you know, that worked out? You know, if if it was today, you know what they'd be saying? They'd be saying, Well, that's not fair, two sets of brothers. That's just not fair. That's not right. That's not right. What about the twin? What's wrong with his identical twin? DNA is the same. What's that all about, you know? We'd be complaining about Jesus' choices. But Jesus makes his choices based on purpose, based on calling. It isn't about how good-looking you are. It isn't, about, it isn't about any of that kind of stuff on the outward appearance. It's about heart. It's about purpose. It's about calling. And, and, and so you have to make choices to be around the right kind of people. And here's what I've discovered in life. You'll be attracted to the same gift that is in you. In other words, if you're prophetically wired, you get attracted to prophetic people. If you are a teacher, you get attracted to people who are good at teaching. If you're somebody who's very pastoral in nature, you're gonna get attracted to people who are good at praying for people and caring for people and loving people and counselling people because the gift is attracting you within you to them. And so I wanna say to you, come on, let's be intentional as God's people about connecting with God's house. Let's connect with the church. And, and when you do that, you've got to be incredibly patient because Jesus called Matthew the tax collector. How do you think the rest of the Jews felt about Matthew? I mean, the rest of the disciples. This is a guy who collaborated with the Romans an in invading army. And not only that, he made money out of people. He was Jewish. Well, they were all Jewish. but I can say that because I'm Jewish, so it's okay. I'm not being racist. And then you get Simon the Zealot. Let me give you a new word that we use today for zealots, terrorist. (laughs) They're the people who like killing Romans quietly just so that they didn't get caught. So you've got got a collaborator and you've got a terrorist and Jesus called both of them. The only thing they've got in common is Jesus. They don't have a common political ideology, they have Jesus in common. Welcome to church. Welcome to church. When Jesus sent the disciples out two by two, who do you think he put together? <laughs> you two would be great together if you don't kill each other. And church is like that, isn't it? <clears throat> I, I was a patient man till I got married. Because I, I discovered I love me. I love my choices, my choices of food. I, we, I never argue with myself about the choice of food. <laughs> TV programs, we never argue, Me. Me, myself and I, we're in total agreement, this is a good program. And then I got married, and it's like, well, what do you mean you don't like action, com- you don't like uh, action movies? You want romantic comedies, you know, and I got, and I had to learn patience. And then we started having kids, you know, and I have five daughters. You, I know more about women than it's healthy for any man in this room to know, I'm telling you. You know? Like sometimes I go into, into a restaurant, you know, and, and there's a girl there and she's dressed really, really nicely. I look at her and I go, oh, eyebrows on fleek today. Now, you see, all the women in the room know what I'm talking about, and the men have no idea what I just said there. You. You're gonna have to ask your wife at home, what did he mean by that, eyebrows on fleek? I got a free meal in a restaurant for saying that once. The manager was so, she said, you notice? Nobody's ever said that to me. And I said, kid, I notice everything. But I learned, as a father, a new level of patience. I, I had a 12-year-old daughter, well, my, when my daughter was 12. You know, it was one of those moments where she was just being unbelievably irritating. Now, you're going to have to use your imagination because I know your kids are never like that with you. <clears throat> so she was just being unbelievably irritating, and I just lost it. I just shouted at her, and, you know, she, she ran out of the room. And my wife gave me that look. Every husband in this room knows what I'm talking about right now. She did not say any words. She gave me that look. And I knew immediately. It's like, I said, I know, I know, I know. I overreacted. I know. I'm going to go and make it right. I'm going to go and apologize. Just let me, let me have my Zen moment. I just need to calm down. You know, there I am. I'm having my Zen moment. Bad thoughts. Good thoughts. Bad thoughts. Man of peace, yes, man of patience. Anger go away, just having, thank you, Jesus. Then I went upstairs to apologize. I knocked on the door. She kept me waiting. The temperature's going up again. (laughs) She's keeping me wait. I'm here to say I'm sorry, and she is keeping me waiting and the door opens. And I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm like the prodigal son, I'm ready, you know, father I've sinned, you know, I'm ready, I'm ready to say my big apology, I'm gonna be the big guy, you know, cause I'm, I'm the mature one here. And I walked in the room and she went like that, just put her hand up like that, it's a 12 year old kid. She said, Daddy, before you say anything, I'd like to say something. I said, okay, what do you wanna say? She said, I know that, I know what I did was wrong, but do you think you handled that in the most mature way possible? <laughs> you, have you ever been in a situation where you feel like you're shrinking? <laughs> and, and the other person you're talking to is growing? And suddenly I felt like I'm the kid back at school being told off by my teacher. And I, and I, and I said, I said, no, you're right. I did not handle that in the most mature way possible, and that's why I'm here. I'm here to say sorry. And she said, well, Daddy, do you think you've learnt an important lesson from this experience? <laughs> <laughs> you're 12! How are you doing that? You're 12! Yes, I've learned a very important lesson. Thank you very much. Yes. And she said, that's OK, Daddy. I love you. Give me a hug. Uh, yeah, it was good. Do you know, I was having coffee with her, like fast forward, she's 29 now, and she's at Bible college with her husband. We went out for coffee and I said, do you remember that time when you were 12? And she said, oh, Dad, I remember that like it was yesterday. I said, you kept me waiting, you kept me waiting. She said, I know. She said, I was eating chocolate. I didn't want you to see me. I said, oh man, time's going fast here, isn't it? And and then I said to her, you know, I was so astonished that you spoke to me the way you did as a 12-year-old. She said, Daddy, as soon as the door opened, the Holy Spirit came all over me. She said, I felt the presence of God like I've never felt it before and, and words came into my mouth that surprised me. I said, are you I said, "I said it was surprising what she said." Yes, she said, "I was. I was more surprised than you were." <laughs> Doesn't God have a way of correcting us through relationships? Through relationships unless you're with the right group of people. You know, Peter stuffed up at one point where he and Barnabas were were really intimidated by people who'd come from Jerusalem, who were really into kosher diets and kosher laws and keeping all those things from James. And so Peter and, and Barnabas separated from some of the Gentiles in Antioch. And Paul says, hang on a minute, guys, you're being hypocrites right now. It says in Galatians 2, I would stood him to his face because he was to be blamed. How, how did God deal with the hypocrisy that was in Peter's life? This is the guy who preached at Pentecost when 5,000 got saved. This is the guy who was with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. But at some point in his life, he got it wrong and he needed somebody to confront him and tell him, you shouldn't be doing this, buddy. You should be doing this. That happens in the context of relationships, my friends. That doesn't happen watching a video and seeing a sermon. That happens by doing life together with somebody, in life, with people, in a place. You get that? Do you think the Lord's worth a clap on that one? Thank you. <clears throat> Once you get connected to God's people, you know what happens? You get connected to God's purpose. I never knew what my purpose in life was till I got connected to God's people. It comes in process of time. Don't worry if you don't know what your purpose is. Just keep loving God, and keep ch- keep turning up, and then become aware of what you're attracted to, because what you're attracted to is what's in you. And over a, over time, what will happen is God will begin to open doors of opportunity for you to serve. I keep saying to people, if you want to know, if you want to get used by God, just do whatever somebody wants you to do. Just be a servant. Start there. Nobody wants to start as a servant. Nobody wants to do that. Everybody wants the stage. I just feel led to be part of the worship team. Don't know how many times over the years I've heard that. Yeah. Lord's given me a wonderful voice. Yeah, who told you that? Your mother? It's like sometimes we need a Simon Cowell, don't we, in the church? Your mama lied to you, buddy. Your mama lied to you. She may love you, but she lied to you. <laughs> just start by serving. Where can I serve? You know, every senior pastor, hears music to their ears. If you wanna really make your pastor happy or the pastoral team in this church happy, just go up to them and say, hey, where could I serve? Where is there a need? Where is there any, where can I serve? Hey, you know what I did for my first three years in life in church? I was behind the sound desk. That's what I did for three years. I was the sound guy for three years. And then I was a chauffeur for two years for my pastor, driving all around the country. People said to him, why do you wanna drive him? I said, because I'd get to be with him. I used to ask him theological questions all the time. We'd be in the car for hours together. I was just non-stop talking. He used to say to me, Peter, shut up now, I need to pray. <laughs> I'd say, yes, yes, pastor. And then I was like donkey on Shrek, you know? Can I talk now, can I talk now, can I talk now? <laughs> Did you pray? Yeah, I prayed for five minutes, shut up. I need, to, I need to be quiet. Don't talk for the next hour. That was like torture for me. That was like torture, oh God. Can I talk now? Are we there yet? Are we there yet, donkey? (laughs) But through driving him around, I got to spend time with him. Walk with the wise and you become wise. Timothy became more than he was because he was with the Apostle Paul. John Mark, who failed in ministry with Paul and Barnabas, he failed. You know, he ran away after Cyprus. I think he got scared when Paul prayed over a guy and said, you're going to be blind for a season. It's like, that would scare you a little bit, wouldn't it? Now, how would you like to serve that pastor? He blinds people if they don't agree with him. (laughs) Just for a season. Just for a season. It's like, that's a little scary. John Mark ran away, but Barnabas believed in him, and then Barnabas introduced him to Peter, and then Peter writes in his second epistle that Mark is like... um, my son in the faith, he writes about Mark the way Paul writes about Timothy. And what does Mark go on to do? He writes a gospel. Not bad for somebody who's not an apostle, not bad. He came good, what, he found his purpose in relationships. We have a saying in equipers, we, we say it all the time, significant ministry comes out of significant relationships. But here's the last thought I wanna leave you with. Leave you with. Be intentional about connecting with God's people. Be intentional about connecting with God's purpose. It comes out of those relationships. Follow me and I will make you. Your future is here in this relationship. Your future is in the church. It's in those relationships. It's a gift to you from heaven. Receive it, be intentional about it, use it. But then when we've discovered God's purpose, we're meant to live out of God's promises. And I wanna say to you, come on, what promise are you living by today? What promise has God spoken to you that is so alive in your heart? I'm believing for that. I'm holding on to that. You know, if you tell a five-year-old kid, hey, we're gonna go to McDonald's today, you know what they're gonna do? Get excited, even if you're Gordon Ramsay and you make great meals at home, you tell a five-year-old kid, we're going to McDonald's, they're not gonna go there and go, oh, we're going to McDonald's, oh. No, no, they're gonna, McDonald's, they're already choosing their happy meal before they've even got there. That's how God wants you to respond to his promises. He wants you to live in the joy of the promise even before it's arrived. And here's the thing, you've been hardwired, not only for relationships, you've been hardwired to live by promise. In fact, the only reason anybody ever becomes cynical in life is because they've lived with too many broken promises. Every time a promise comes to you, it's the expectation of something in the future that you can live in the joy of right now. Jesus said, behold, I am coming. We're meant to live in the joy of that future. We're meant to live in the anticipation of it right now, here, just like a five-year-old kid. That's why Jesus said, if you wanna be great in the kingdom of God, you've gotta come like a child. You've gotta learn how to respond to promises in that way. Hey, listen, there's not a lady in the room here who if a guy says, will you marry me, And she says, yes, I promise you, within 24 hours, she's making a list. She's making who's coming to the wedding, what kind of gifts they want. I want you to know, guys, if you make that proposal to any young woman, she's going to be living in the future now, (laughs) right there and then. Why? Because of a promise. Because of the power of a promise. And God has given us exceeding great and precious promises that by these we might be partakers of the divine nature. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1, every promise in Christ Jesus is yes and amen to the glory of God the Father through us. Come on there, yes and amen promises. They may be delayed, you may have to wait, but they are coming. The promise will be fulfilled in its time. And you know the hardest thing to do is to navigate the gap between the promise and the fulfilment. People used to say to me when I was younger, oh yeah, um, blessing always follows obedience. And I believed it. And now I know it's not quite true. Here's what they should have told me. Blessing follows obedience eventually. Eventually. Somehow they left that word out. That would have been so helpful. You know, blessing follows obedience. So so Joseph keeps his integrity and doesn't sleep with Potiphar's wife. And it gets worse. He goes into a dungeon. He goes into a prison. Blessing follows obedience, right? Yes, eventually. Sometimes you do the right thing and it gets worse. Doesn't that suck? I mean, what a challenge to your faith. You do the right thing and it got worse. Yeah, that'll happen in life sometimes, but God is storing up something for you. He's testing your heart, He's testing your obedience, He's testing your character, He's testing your integrity because He wants to trust you with something great in the future that is gonna save lives. Come on. What promise are you living by? What promise are you holding on to? Okay, let me do something real quick and then we're gonna pray. Here you go. This is my exercise for today. So nice to meet you. What's your name? Andrew. Andrew? Priscilla. Priscilla. Whoa, that's a lovely biblical name. Both of you. Are you together? Yes, yes. You're married. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't want to presume. Okay, let me tell you something. There's stuff that you've had to endure, but I want to tell you the promise is going to be fulfilled. Even where there's been disappointment, you've had to wait longer than you thought you would. I wanna tell you, here's what I hear the Lord say to both of you, I haven't forgotten. I haven't forgotten. Where you felt like the Lord had just, maybe you got it wrong, maybe you heard wrong. I just hear the Spirit of God saying to you, I haven't forgotten. My word will find fulfillment in its time. And I wanna say this to you as well, you didn't do anything wrong, okay? I just hear the Father in heaven saying, I'm really proud of you. You didn't do anything wrong. This is the enemy trying to discourage again. God's word's gonna come to you in a fresh way. You're gonna come through a fresh season, by the way. A fresh season of anointing, a fresh season of joy. What the enemy meant for evil, God's gonna turn around for the good. Uh, You're gonna see the fulfillment of many promises, actually, and it's gonna cascade. There's gonna be a time in the future where it won't just be one thing happening, it's gonna be blessing upon blessing upon blessing and things that you've waited for a long time. It's almost like God's gonna embarrass you with how much goodness is gonna come towards you. You're gonna be, I can't believe it, I can't believe it, I can't believe it. It's gonna be the goodness of God continually extended towards you. So I bless you, Andrew, I bless you, Priscilla. Thank you for this wonderful couple, Lord. Just let your peace be upon them, I pray. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Okay. How are we doing, friends? Are we good? Okay, I need to finish. So here's what we're gonna do. If you're here, there he is. Such an important guy. No, sometimes when I'm, in a, when I'm in a church and I and I lose track of time, the keyboard player comes up and I know. That's the universal signal in every church today. Time's out. And they get louder. You know, if you keep talking, they just get louder. That's the guy's up on the desk there. Yeah, we'll get him out, don't worry. One final thing I want to do. Just I never assume when I'm in any church that people have said yes to Jesus. If you're here today and you've never said yes to Jesus, I want you to know he loves you. He has a great plan for your life. He has a purpose and a destiny for you to fulfill. You're not not an accident, you're not a mistake, you're not a write-off. You're somebody that God loves dearly and wants to be in relationship with you and invite you to receive Jesus. Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I'm gonna give you rest. So I wanna invite you here, if you've never done that, to do that today. But I also wanna to speak to another group of people where perhaps God has been distant because you've been dealing with disappointment, you've been dealing with hurt, you've been dealing with stuff in your life. And maybe church and God has just been pushed to the periphery. But today the Spirit of God is Drawing you, speaking to you, and saying, come on. Put God back in the center. And if you do, you can play, by the way. If you you want to do that today, I want to give you that opportunity. So if you wouldn't mind standing to your feet. Thank you, friends. Just with every head bowed and every eye closed, just in these moments, Either you've never said yes to Jesus, you wanna do that today. Or maybe you know you need to make God central again. You've pushed Him out into the distance. You wanna make Him central again one more time. All I want you to do is while heads are bowed and eyes closed is just lift your hand up high, right where you are, let me see, because I'm gonna pray for you later. Thank you, sir, I see that hand. Thank you, thank you, I see that hand there. Thank you, just lift it up high let me see. God bless you, sweetheart. I see that hand, see that hand. Thank you, thank you, thank you, sir. Yeah, I see that hand, thank you. Thank you, I see that hand over there. God bless you, young lady, thank you. Anyone else, just lift it up high, let me see it. We're gonna pray together in a moment. (coughs) God bless you, yes, I see that hand, madam, thank you. Thank you, thank you, sir, I see your hand. Thank you, thank you, thank you, madam, thank you, sir. God bless you, God bless you. Just a moment longer, anyone else? Really, you're responding to God when you do this. He sees your heart, He knows your need. If you're a Christian here, just be praying. Spirit of God will be touching people. Thank You, Lord Jesus. Thank You for Your goodness. Thank You for Your kindness. Here's what we're gonna do, friends. We're all gonna pray together out loud. I want you to follow me in a prayer. And if you're a Christian here, this is simply a confession of your faith. You're saying something you already believe, but for some people right here, it's readjusting their entire world to put Jesus back in the center. And for some people here, it's making Jesus Savior and Lord. And we wanna help them in the process. So here's, here's how we do it. You follow my prayer, but I need you, you know, don't, don't pray quietly. I need you to pray nice, out loud, a declaration of faith. Is that okay? We good? Okay, say this after me. Father in heaven, heaven. thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for His death on the cross that paid for all of my sins. Thank you for His resurrection that secures my forgiveness and my destiny. Today I declare that Jesus Christ is Lord Lord. and He is my Lord, Lord. amen. Can we give God a big clap? Isn't He good? listen if you're one of those folks who put your hand up can I just encourage you to come down the front there's a team of people here who would love to pray for you give you material if you need it to help you in your journey of faith thank you so much church I have the honor of being with you at your church camp which I'm so glad to know is a hotel which is my idea of camping (laughs) My family used to love camping, I used to hate it. I said, listen, my idea of camping is going from a five-star hotel to a four-star hotel. That's, that's camping for me. But I'm so glad I'm gonna be with you. Thank you so much for receiving me so nicely. Bless you, take care. Shalom. You've just listened to a production of Cornerstone Community Church.